0: Let me see. <clears throat> well, if I say the word flannel graph, do you know what I'm talking about? A few of you do. Flannel graph. I'm sure it brings back a lot of young memories when you're about this big. Well, I was uh, six years old when my Sunday school teacher, Mary Wallander, first introduced me to flannel graph. This is like the biggest flannel graph I've ever seen. I love it. Flannel graph. I've pretty much come to a a love-hate relationship with flannel graph. I love what flannel graph can communicate. It's just you pick a storyboard and it opens up the Bible. It makes it come alive. We've got some fish out in the sea. Here's a big scary wave we got the disciples, the disciples, they are out in the boat. What's going to happen? And uh, you just pick a background, you pick some scenery, throw in some props. The disciples, I love what flannel graph can communicate with kids. It just, it opens up the Bible on their level. It just, it shares with them so much of scripture, but there's also a flaw in the system, right? Uh, there, there's something that, that, that's messed up. There's something I don't like about flannel graph. I don't like the pictures of Jesus in the flannel graph. I I don't really get it. I I don't like the picture of Jesus wearing some kind of a bleached white bathrobe or something. Uh, He's got a silky blue sash up here. I I don't like the picture of Jesus. He's got this neatly trimmed beard. For some reason, he he looks white here. He he looks American. I I don't really get it. I thought Jesus was a Jew. I I think he should look a little bit Middle Eastern. But here's this, this picture of Jesus. I don't, I don't really get how many of us have etched into our minds when we think of our, our mental picture of Jesus. And this is what we see. Well, I want to change our picture of Jesus this morning. Jesus. He, I'm sorry to break this to you if you've grown up on this flannel graph, but, but Jesus, he was born into a poor family. Jesus was poor. He bathed in a river. He didn't have soft and shiny and silky smooth hair. Jesus took a bath in a river. His hair would have been tangled. It would have been matted. It would have been dirty. Jesus, he he probably would have wore burlap or something like everybody else. He didn't have a white bleached white bathrobe. No, he, he would have had clothes that were grass stained, that were torn, that, that were dirty. He would have had patches holding together this robe. I, I don't like these pictures of Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter right? His hands aren't soft and smooth. No, they would have been strong and calloused. He would have dirt under his fingernails. He would have uh, th- thumbs that are bruised. He, he would have slivers in his fingers. This isn't a picture of Jesus. This is some kind of like shampoo commercial. This is like a perp plus advertisement. Uh, we, we need a new picture of Jesus. For me, my, my mental picture of Jesus radically changed because of a zookeeper named Smitty. Uh, Growing up in college, I I worked for the Alaska State Zoo for for two summers living with my brother. And uh, one day, I was was making the final rounds. I was closing down the zoo, kicking people out. And uh, Smitty, the the tiger guy, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, do you want to help me feed the tigers? (laughs) I'm like, yes, I want to help you feed the tigers. Have you ever been to the zoo when, when it's like all the animals are just laying there? They're, they're sleeping. They're just lazy. You got to go to the zoo when it's feeding time. That's when the animals become alive. So I go with Smitty and, and we go back to the, to the lion's den. We go back to where the tigers are kept in their cage. And the tigers, uh, they're smart. They know it's, it's, it's feeding time. The tigers know. They're, they're just prowling around. They're, they're pacing back and forth in their exhibit. The tigers are hungry. So Smitty and I, we we go in to feed the tigers. Tigers, uh, we have a five-gallon bucket of bloody red meat for each tiger. Each tiger, we've got steaks, we've got ground beef, we've got hamburger, we've got salmon, we've got five gallons of bloody red meat for each tiger. So Smitty, he takes his bucket of red meat and dumps it into the middle of the floor. And I go to the close cage and I dump my bucket of bloody red meat in the floor in the zoo, they had two tigers, Steve and Al. That's the tigers' names. The, these tigers were twin brothers, 400 pound Siberian tigers, big cats. So we dump our bloody red meats in the middle of the floor, and the tigers, they, they, they know it's feeding time. The tigers are standing inches outside the gate. I, I can see them, I can hear them breathing. The tigers, I can see them look, licking their lips. I don't know if that's because I'm the new guy in the cage or if it's because they, they know it's dinner time and here's their bloody pile of meat. So we feed the tigers and, uh, and Smitty and I, we, we get out of the cage and we open up the door and the two tigers, they, they come walking into their cage. It's dinner time. Steve, he, he goes right over. He starts chowing down on his porterhouse steak. But Al, Al comes over to me. Al comes and stands right next to the gate, is staring at me. He can look me eye to eye. He is staring me down. He is smelling me. So I didn't really know Smitty, uh, other than he was the tiger guy. He was pretty much a hippie. He had a long gray ponytail. I didn't really know him. I didn't really know if I could trust him. I didn't know the guy. Smitty says, hey, you want to feel something cool? I think so. <laughs> he, he says, put your hand up against the cage. Let the tiger lick you. He's like, the, the tongue feels like sandpaper. The, the tiger can't get his mouth through the cage. There's bars you can see. Let the tiger lick you. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I want to do it. I totally want to do it, but I've kind of grown attached to my arm. I don't know about this. So I do it. I man up. I brave up. I put my hand up there. The tiger... His tongue feels like sandpaper. And I'll never forget this. Smitty says, hey, do you want to know what it feels like to be attacked by a tiger? (laughs) I didn't really know what to think. I didn't know the guy. I didn't trust the guy. Smitty said, if you take your eyes off the tiger, if you turn so the tiger cannot see your face, cannot, cannot see your eyes... The tiger will forget that he's in a cage, that raw animal instincts will take over, and the tiger will pounce. Do you want to know what it feels like to be attacked by a tiger? So, so very cautiously, right? Very carefully, nervously, um, I'm backing up. I don't know about this, but when else am I gonna be able to do this? I'm standing with my cage, with my with my back against the cage, immediately the tiger pounces slams against the cage. He goes running. I go running. Amazing, amazing experience. Do you want to know what it feels like to be attacked by a tiger? There's this rushing wind and all of a sudden he's right on top of me. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. The picture of a 400 pound Siberian tiger, the picture of Satan, like a prowling, roaring, devouring lion, that's not comforting. The picture of Satan as a lion with dinner plate sized paws and a head this big, that's not a good thing. And here's my point. If we have a per plus fuzzy felt flannel graph picture of Jesus. How did that Jesus defeat that lion? How did Jesus conquer Satan? Who was like a roaring lion? Jesus had to win. There's no other option, right? If Jesus didn't win, if Jesus didn't beat Satan, there's no hope. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no salvation. There's no eternal life. Satan wins, If Jesus won, how did Jesus win if we have this picture of Jesus etched into our minds? Well, for this morning, I I think we need a new picture of Jesus. I think we need a a revelation, a radical picture of Jesus. Grab your Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 5. This morning, we're going to look at four pictures of Jesus no more warm and fuzzy felt flannograph pictures, no more soft and shiny, smooth, silky hair per plus pictures of Jesus. We are gonna look at four revelation radical pictures of Jesus. Because if Jesus conquered that, if Jesus conquered the roaring lion, what's Jesus like? Picture number one, Revelation chapter five, verse one. Jesus, the conquering lion. Lion. Verse 1 says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. First it says, uh, I saw in the right hand. However, the the Greek word for the word in is en. This word here is, is epi, which means on or upon. So I think a better translation, a better picture is I saw on the right hand of God a scroll. Here, the picture. God is sitting on his throne in heaven, holding out his right hand and sitting on the open palm of God's hand is a scroll, a scroll that is written within and on the back. Here, here is a scroll that is, that's written on both sides. Now that's unusual. Uh, The way scrolls were made, scrolls were were usually only written on the front side. Scrolls were made from pieces of of papyrus plants, cut down and pounded together as a pulp. And so when they they layered these three-inch thin strips of plants, they layered them first vertically and then horizontally. And so if you're writing on the front, you are writing with the grain of the paper, But if you're writing on the back of the scroll, you're writing against the grain of the paper. The strips are going vertically. And so here, this scroll, it's written on the front and the back. This scroll is unusual. Normally, scrolls are only written on the front side. This scroll is written on both sides, front and back. This scroll has something to say. This scroll must be important. Nothing can be added to the scroll. It's written on both sides. This scroll has something to say. This scroll is exhaustive. It's comprehensive. This scroll must... Must be something of a value. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There are seven wax seals protecting the the secrecy, the the, the privacy of this scroll. Now, we know, uh, scholars know, other scrolls written at the same time period, scrolls that were written on the front and the back, scrolls that had seven wax seals, these were titles. The- these were deeds. These were legal documents granting the, the-, the title, the-, the power, the authority, the control of something to whoever opened it. And the only person who could open the scroll was the, the, the heir, the, the rightful owner, the one who's, who could open the seven wax seals. In verse one, we, we know something about this scroll. It's, it's sitting on the open palm of God's hand. It's written on both sides. It's important. And it's some kind of legal title. It's some kind of a legal deed. It's It's the document. Well, I have two... Titles, I, I have two titles in, in my possession. I, uh, I have a title to my house and a title to my car. Uh, these titles, they, they have my signature. They, they, have my, uh, they have a stamp, a golden seal of, of approval. They, they are marking my ownership. My car title says I am the very proud owner of a 1997 Chevy Monte Carlo you can't have my car. It's my car. The title is in my name. I know a a 1997 two-door with dents and dings, missing paint, 143,000 miles, dirty floor mats and torn seats because my dog ate the upholstery. I know that's very appealing. You may want it. You can't have it. It's in my name. The, The title belongs to me. This is my car. I know it because I have the title. I have the deed to this car. Verse 1 shows us that that God, sitting on the open palm of his hand, God has a title, and we're going to see here in a little bit, this title is a deed to the world. This title is a legal document with with the rights, the the, the authority, the power, the control over the entire world. This title, it's it's kind of a big thing. Uh, This title, it's a little bit important. It's the deed to the world sitting on God's hand. God's not holding it. He's, he's not just crouching over it. No, he's, he's actually giving it up. Actually here, God is holding this title, wanting to give it away. God is wanting to transfer this title to another owner. This is kind of a, a big deal. Verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? I just love this image of God sitting on his throne in heaven, trying to, to transfer, holding out, giving away, up for grabs, the deed to the world. Here, here he is handing over the, the, the authority, the, the power, the control to the universe. God is giving it up. And here's the, the challenge of the angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth Or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. No one. Can you imagine this? That the angel is trying to give away this deed to the world, but nobody can open it. Nobody is found worthy. No one dead, no one alive, no man, no angel. No one is worthy. And what does John start doing? Verse four, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John is weeping. John is sobbing. He's, he's bawling his eyes out, crying. Why is he crying? This scroll is not only a title to the world. This scroll is also the, the legal document giving the rights to whoever owns it to reclaim God's inheritance, to reclaim the inheritance, the creation of the world. And this means that if nobody is found worthy, if nobody is able to open the scroll, God's plan of redemption, all of God's creation, well, it's in jeopardy. What's going to happen to it? If, if no one can open it, if no one can can take the scroll and fulfill God's plan of salvation, if, if no one can finalize this, what's going to happen? Here, John is weeping. He's, he's sobbing because he realizes every single one of us will remain cursed. Uh, the whole world will, will remain stuck in our sins. Shame and guilt and suffering, pain, it's going to go on forever. If there is no one worthy, there is no eternal life. If, if no one is worthy to open a scroll, there is no hope for the future. Satan wins. Satan will, will continue to rule the earth as a prowling, roaring, devouring lion. Satan wins. We are all dead. John gets it. John is weeping. John is weeping loudly because he gets it. If no one is worthy, there's no hope. There's no salvation. It's interesting. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, there will be no tears, no sorrow, no crying, no no pain in heaven, except for right here. This is the only time there has ever been, or will ever be, crying in heaven. John gets it; he is weeping loudly. This, this phrase, "weeping loudly," it's it's mourning, it's intense wailing, it's a funeral term. You cry like this when someone dies. John realizes, if no one is worthy to open the scroll, we are all dead in our sins, remaining separated, sinful from God. There's no redemption. There's there's no final plan of salvation. There's no victory. John is weeping. The sting of death continues. Sin remains and Satan wins. And I began weeping loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Love this. John is just bawling his eyes out because he realizes he and all of us are dead in our sins, are separated from God. And then one of the elders, Elder Paul, Elder Larry comes up and grabs him and says, Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, stop weeping. Jesus, the line of Judah has conquered. Oh, this word conquered. It's, it's an aorist past tense verb, which means it's, it's an aorist. It looks back to a decisive moment in history. There was a one time action that has continued ongoing future implications. It's an ongoing action. This this word, Jesus has conquered, looks back to Jesus Christ on the cross. It's on the cross that Jesus has conquered. It's on the cross Jesus defeated Satan, who was like a roaring lion. It's on the cross Jesus was victorious, triumphed over sin. It's on the cross Jesus defeated death itself. This all looks back to the greatest moment in human history on the cross that has continuing, ongoing reality that Jesus is the worthy one to open the scroll. Jesus has won Jesus has defeated Satan. Salvation is here and Jesus can offer it because Jesus was on the cross. It it all goes back to the cross where Jesus has conquered. It was on the cross. Jesus became the conquering lion who defeated Satan, who was like a roaring lion. If we go back all the way to uh, to God's plan, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, God promises Adam and Eve after they sin that their offspring jesus will will endure conflict with satan now it says that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel If we were to paraphrase this for for today, we would say Genesis 3.15, that Jesus will enter a 12-round UFC cage fight with Satan. Jesus is going to go through a battle royale with Satan, and there can only be one man standing at the end of this fight, one man standing at the end of this battle. The heel of Jesus will be bruised. Jesus will take a beating. But in the end, the head of Satan will be crushed. And God has a plan going back from the beginning of Genesis 3.15 to the end of human history and revelation. God has a plan and it all comes back to the cross because it was on the cross where Christ died as a sacrifice for mankind, and it was in His death that Jesus was victorious over Satan, conquered our adversary, the evil one. It's on the cross Jesus became the conquering lion who defeated Satan, the roaring lion. Now, hanging in my uh, office at home is is this picture. This picture is of a uh, of a tiger. Uh, actually, my grandma she painted this tiger. Um, says, back in 1978, Joyce Adams, my grandma painted this. But when my grandma was painting this tiger, she uh, she was actually looking at a picture of a roaring lion. doesn't look like a roaring lion. When, when grandma was painting this, she was looking at a mad, scary, ferocious lion. But grandma didn't want that picture of a lion. She, she wanted a, a tame tiger. She, she wanted a, a docile, friendly, uh, the kind of tiger that, that you might want to pet, the one that kind of curls up to you like a house cat. Oh, I'm afraid, I think we've kind of done the same thing to Jesus. I, I think we, we've tamed Jesus. I, I think in our, our mental picture, we've become so used to seeing Jesus with a white bathrobe and in a pretty beard and nice flowing hair and a silky blue sash we've we've become so used to seeing jesus hanging out with mary and martha and sitting with a lot of kids all crowded around and we've become so used to seeing jesus as humble and gentle and loving and patient and kind we've become so used to seeing that jesus but we forget jesus is also the roaring conquering lion who defeated satan I think it's 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 easy for us to to see this mental picture, and yet we forget we can't tame Jesus. We we can't water down Jesus. Jesus is the one who defeated Satan, who was like a roaring lion. You know, especially for us guys, uh, us men. I think it's hard. We want to walk with Christ. We want to follow Christ. We want to we want to become more like Christ. We want to look like Christ. But if, if we have etched into our mind a a flannel graph picture of Jesus. If we have etched into our mind, this, this kind of soft and feminine and girly view of Jesus, it's kind of hard to, to want to look like that. It's kind of hard to want to follow that. I think for us guys, we need to replace our picture of Jesus with, with Jesus, the, the undisputed, the, the undefeated, the ultimate fighting champion of the world, Jesus, who defeated Satan Guys, we need, we need to replace our, our mental picture of Jesus and see Jesus for, for who he really is, the conquering lion. And picture number two, Jesus, the Passover lamb, verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Reading verse five, we expect to see like like Aslan, the the Chronicles of Narnia line, like pounce onto the scene. But instead, we we see Jesus standing as a, a lamb that had been slain, literally a lamb with his esophagus cut, a lamb with its its throat cut. I've never seen a picture, a flannelgraph picture of a slaughtered sacrificed lamb. But here is, is Jesus, the sacrifice, the slaughtered lamb, the, the little pet lamb. That's what this word is, the, the little house lamb, the, the lamb that lived with the family for four days before the Passover. Have you ever been at breakfast and, and you're drinking your, your cup of orange juice? You're, you're kind of tired. You're not totally with it. And, uh, and you're drinking your orange juice. But as you're drinking your orange juice, you realize, wait wait a minute, this isn't orange juice. This is milk. This is something else. And, and your mind like totally messes with you. Same thing for John. Here, John is is crying his eyes out because he realizes he is dead in his sins. No one is worthy. And then the elder comes and tells him, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. John turns to see this this massively big conquering lion. And he sees this little pet lamb. He sees this little lamb, a a lamb that has been slain, a, a lamb that has been sacrificed, this lamb that has been slaughtered. And I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, symbolizes strength, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, the lamb, and he, Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Just imagine this vision. Here, the whole entire destiny of the world is at stake. Heaven is waiting for a hero. No one is worthy. We are dead in our sins, separated from God. Satan is about to win. Satan is continuing to to rule. Heaven is is waiting. Heaven is on hold. What's going to happen with God's plan of salvation? And then here comes Jesus, uh, the conquering lion. Here comes Jesus, the, the Passover lamb, the one who is worthy to take the scroll. Here comes Jesus the Passover lamb. Verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, the the Passover lamb, the the one who ransomed his life as a sacrifice. But why a lamb? Why is, is Jesus pictured here as a lamb? I get the conquering lion thing. That kind of makes sense. But why would Jesus be pictured as a lamb? Only one time in the Old Testament is Jesus pictured as a lamb. Four times in the New Testament, Jesus is pictured as a lamb. But here in Revelation, Jesus is pictured as a lamb 28 times. See, the book of Revelation shows us that that Jesus, he did not beat Satan because Jesus was a stronger, more powerful, a bigger lion. No, Jesus defeated Satan because Jesus willingly went to the cross as a sacrifice, was slaughtered like a lamb. Revelation shows us that, that Jesus gave up his life as a ransom for the world. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll because he gave up his life For the forgiveness of sins, because he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is worthy because Jesus went to the cross. Isaiah 53 is the only time the Old Testament pictures Jesus as a lamb. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. This is actually the only, only verse in all of the Bible that tells us what Jesus looks like. It, it describes the physical, the, the bodily appearance of Jesus. And look at it. It says, he had no form or majesty we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't a, a GQ model. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a Heisman Trophy winner. In his physical body, Jesus was an average, plain, ordinary looking guy no beauty, no majesty, nothing that we should desire him when we look at him. Jesus was just a simple, ordinary, plain guy. No no glowing halo above his head, no no, uh, bleached white bathrobe. Jesus looked like, like everyone else. Jesus was an average guy. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity that the sins of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a Passover lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The prophet Isaiah tells us two things about Jesus. He, he was an average, plain, ordinary looking guy, no majesty, no beauty that we should desire him, and he willingly and quietly went to the cross. You look at how Isaiah describes Jesus. He was despised. He was rejected. He bore our grief, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our sins, crushed for our sins. Lord laid on him the sins, the iniquities of us all. He was afflicted. He was oppressed, and yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus quietly, Jesus willingly went to the cross See, Jesus did not defeat Satan because Jesus was the bigger, stronger, conquering lion. Jesus defeated Satan because he went to the cross. Jesus defeated Satan because Jesus was willingly and quietly and in his submission to God the Father, offering his life as a sacrifice for salvation. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins like a lamb that was slaughtered. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. And it was hanging on the cross that Jesus beat Satan, hanging on the cross where where Jesus defeated the evil one. It was on the cross that Jesus won. And Jesus became the worthy one who was able to open the scroll. Picture number three, Jesus is the worthy one. Verse 11, and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Well, in the Bible, one myriad is the largest known possible number. So here it's saying, I saw myriads of myriads, the largest known number multiplied by the largest known number plus thousands of thousands of angels. There's a lot of angels. There's a countless, infinite number of angels here worshiping Christ, the worthy one. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Countless numbers of angels worshiping Christ, the worthy one. In his humanity, Jesus was an average, plain, ordinary looking guy. But in his divinity, being fully God, there is no one like him, no one who can compare to him, no one who can compete with him. Jesus is the one who has all the power, all the wealth, all the wisdom, all the might, all the honor, glory, and blessing, the the title to the world, the legal document, owning the possessing, all of the world has control, power, and authority over all of the world Millions and millions of angels worshiping him. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. I love this picture. All the creatures, great and small, all of the creatures, you and me, the ladybugs, the the squirrels, the, the roly polies you roll on the ground, the alligators, the elephants, the, the tigers, the, the bears, the walrus, the zebra, the whales, all creatures great and small, worshiping, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to God, the father who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to Jesus, God, the son be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So what does this all mean for, for us here now today? I want us to walk away with, with two things. First, I want for all of us to have a new mental picture of, of Jesus. Jesus is, is so much more than, than just a, a fuzzy felt uh, dude with a with a beard and a silky blue sash. Jesus is the undefeated, the undisputed, the ultimate fighting, conquering lion who beat Satan. And Jesus is the Passover lamb, the, the one who willingly, quietly went to the cross, uh, the one who, who gave his life as a ransom, a sacrifice for all mankind. And Jesus won because he went to the cross. And so Jesus is the worthy one, the one we all will worship. Every creature, great and small, will bow and worship Jesus, the worthy one, the king. Jesus, who holds in his hand a deed to the world. Jesus, uh, the one who in his humanity looked like an average, ordinary, plain, simple looking guy. But in his divinity, he was the the one that no one can compete with, no one can compare to, the one there is no one like him. Second thing I I want for us to, to see today is this. This picture, last picture, picture number four, Jesus, the infant baby. It, it was here in, in a cold, dark, wet, damp, drafty cave where Christ the King was born. It, it's here. I can't imagine anything more, more humble, more simple. There, not a room in the palace, not a room in the temple, not even a room in the inn here. Being born in the presence of, of farm animals is our Our savior. The one who went to the greatest moments, the most amazing moments of human history. Wrapped up in these swaddling clothes is is Christ, the one who's going to have the inheritance, the deed to the world, the one who who owns, who possesses, everything belongs, has the authority over the entire world. Here he is wrapped up in these swaddling clothes, the little one, the infant one, who's going to go to the cross and defeat Satan, the the one who's going to overcome sin and death, the one who will triumph, be victorious, the one the whole world will worship. Here he is, baby Jesus, the the one who's going to open the scroll, the the only one who was found worthy. Here he is. This is where he's coming from. Here's Jesus. Jesus is one, and Jesus is, is the worthy one. And we worship Jesus, all creatures, great and small. We will worship our risen King, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, we worship you, and we worship your son. God, we thank you for your son, offering him as a sacrifice. We thank you for what Christ went through on our behalf, being our substitute, replacing us on the cross. God, I I pray that we would have a new picture of Jesus, that that we would see him in a a different way, seeing him as, as like us. On the one hand, he was human. On the one hand, he... He was average, and yet, God, there is no one like him. God, he is your son. He is the perfect representation of you, and he has been given for us. And God, that's the one we worship. That's the one we follow. God, that's the one we believe in. Thank you for your son. We worship him. Amen.